Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always for the showdown in Captain Town, he is the captain. Welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Tonight we are drinking Scotty Karate Scotch Ale by Dark Horse Brewing in Marshall, Michigan, Garage Grade. Four out of five bottle caps. Yeah. This is a big, bold beer, a silver medal winner at the Great American Beer Festival with an ABV of 9.75%. So drink this one at home in your own garage. And this week's beer was brought to us by Stephen in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and also in Arkansas on Team Nick. We have Elizabeth in Fayetteville. And a big shout out to Sierra in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Next, we have Chris who says, enjoy a beer. We also have John who says, keep jibbing. And we have our friend Olivia, all from Parts Unknown. And a big we like to jib to Lauren in the UK. And last but not least, a cheers to Kate in Waterloo, Liverpool, England. Waterloo. For everything true crime, go to truecrimegarage.com and make sure you sign up on our mailing list. And that's enough of the business. You're right, it is. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. There are going to be investigators working these crimes who say to me, well, you don't have all the information because you you're not privy to all of our documents. And that's true. I, I received you know, several thousand pages of FOIA documents, but there are probably 100,000 pages of documents. You know, who knows what they've got? And they will say that to me. I say to them two things. One, it's impossible to refute the information that is in the book because all that information was obtained from the documents. I didn't make it up. There's no conjecture. Or in some instances where I speculate, I say 
that I'm speculating, right? Information that is based on fact, that I allege is based on fact, that's in the book, all that information came from the documents. So one, no officer who previously or currently works this case can say that anything in my book is falsified. It's all true. It's all based on the documents. The only other thing they can say is, but you don't have all the information. And so I say to you, yeah, that's the fucking point. So if you have all the information, why don't you fucking tell me what you have and we'll work together. And I'm not even talking about me. I'm talking in general about the family members of the victims and the other other people who have spent decades working this case emotionally. And I'm talking about the communities. I'm talking about the, the decades of children Uh, I'm talking about the generations of people raising their kids in a certain way because, because they were touched by these crimes. It's important to recognize that serious crimes don't end with the prosecution of a suspect. I want to get into this for a second. The effects of those crimes linger in the atmosphere. They linger in the lives of the loved ones of the victims, in the lives of the community for generations, man. And so in this instance... I was a member of that community. Tens of thousands of others were members of that community. Those children of those tens of thousands are now a member of that community, and the crimes linger and linger and linger for decades, for decades, for decades, and multiple generations. So if you tell me, but you don't have all the information, then I say to you, give me the information, prove that I'm thinking about this wrong, Tell me something that you know. Tell me where I'm wrong. Say something. They won't say anything because nobody's letting them. Because this case was not meant to be solved. Because this case, this case is directly tied to some of the people who are politically entrenched in that, in that community and financially entrenched in that community. Over the years, Captain, there have been many theories on who is the Oakland County child killer and how has the perpetrator been able to evade capture for all of these years. But before we get into this too much, I do want to point out that we did cover this case back in May of 2016, episode 28, if you have the Stitcher app. And if you don't have the app, we'll go get it because all of our episodes are there. I didn't want anyone to think that we are skipping over anything in this case. So if you're thinking that, just know that on episode 28, we covered some different angles of each of these four murders. And we also covered more of the Dr. Danto stuff. We covered the Allen and Frank theory and the man from the diner theory. And I even said at one point that I thought that this could be the work of a man and woman team, maybe a husband and wife. The purpose of these two episodes this week is to explore a much different theory and a theory now that might be looking like it's more likely than some of the others explored. And Captain, this is a theory that is quite similar to some of the thoughts that you had regarding the missing person, Johnny Gosh. 
So what we did here was yesterday's episode was kind of a primer regarding the four murders. And today we will explore a theory not discussed on that show before getting to the suspects that could be tied to this theory. Let's go through the original profile of the perpetrator. The task force developed a profile of the offender based on descriptions given by witnesses who saw Timothy King talking to a man on the night that he was abducted. The profile described a white male, dark complexion, age 25 to 35, with shaggy hair and long sideburns. Because the person seemed to be able to gain the trust of children, the task force believed that the killer was possibly a police officer, a doctor, or a clergyman. The profile describes the killer as someone who was familiar with the area and probably lived alone possibly in a remote area since he was able to keep the children for several days without friends, family, or neighbors knowing. The interesting thing here, Captain, is we're going to discuss the possibility of a perpetrator that was able to hold these kids captive for several days, but the possibility that friends did know what was going on and may have even been involved in the abduction, the captivity, and murder of four children. So, Captain, let's go ahead and introduce J. Reuben Appleman, the author of the new book, The Kill Jar, Obsession, Descent, and a Hunt for Detroit's Most Notorious Serial Killer, which will be released later this week. Now, he is the gentleman that you heard in our trailer earlier talking about, hey, I've put together a book on this investigation based off of information that I was able to collect information that was contained in the original in the original investigation. Right. So basically Jay Rubin's theory is it's not one killer, that it's a multiple, maybe a group of people. And regarding his investigation into these crimes, we wanted to ask him about some specifics, mainly evidence that has been left out of a lot of the media reports, as well as possible eyewitness sightings of vehicles that could have been involved and individuals that could have been involved in the perpetration of these crimes. So one of the big problems, I think, with this investigation, and and you think so as well, is when they actually started going to the public saying, we're looking for this type of individual. They're also saying that they're looking for a gremlin. Mm -hmm. And we, we know that there was another car that was seen in an earlier abduction that they never mentioned. So, well, they're, so yeah, they're basically so, saying we're looking for this car, but there's this other car that we saw too, but we're not telling the public about that. Well, one of the biggest talked about clues in this case that has stood the test of time here and still is discussed to this day is that car is that blue gremlin. However, a 1971 Le Mans was seen at the Jill Robinson murder scene. Right, and I hold a lot of weight to this eyewitness, and the reason why is because this individual once owned that car. Well, in a vehicle left clues as far as tire imprints and bumper imprints at the Mahalik scene. And a blue gremlin with a white stripe was seen at the possible abduction site of Tim King. So at least two different cars, but maybe three or four different cars should have been discussed. And yet the focus on the car was put on the blue gremlin, but the blue gremlin, which is weird here, captain, it was still in the parking lot after Tim was reported missing and the search was underway for the lost boy. 
it's making it almost seem like it's it's not connected. Or if it was connected, it was left at the scene for some reason. It would have been more logical to research the Le Mans as the suspect vehicle. There was a detailed description of the Pontiac Le Mans from the Robinson site and was compared to the imprints at Christine's scene. When this was done, the imprints came back to be that closer to that of a Le Mans and not anything like a gremlin. So too much time was possibly wasted on the wrong car. Well, there's a lot of information about various vehicles that it's important to understand. I say this all the time. It's kind of resonates. The blue gremlin was really you know, a red herring. The blue gremlin was um, something that was easy to put on posters that stuck in people's minds was really just kind of a distraction from the reality of multiple other vehicles possibly being involved. More specifically, a Pontiac Le Mans um, shows up in many of the police documents. And and when I say the police documents, I want to be clear with you that that I've read through and studied for years now thousands of pages of internal documents from the Michigan State Police, the FBI, throughout all that information multiple multiple instances of other vehicles show up besides the blue gremlin. So I'd like to put away all thought of the blue gremlin. However, there is one instance of not a blue gremlin, but a blue Vega, uh, which is the mirror of the blue gremlin. It's a, it's a same car, different brand that shows up. And that, that, that car was driven by two specific suspects in this case that become very important later on. So, but let me back up for just a second and address the Pontiac Le Mans. Um, there were other Pontiacs. There was a Tempest. Those vehicles show up more than the Blue Gremlin. And you could say to yourself, well, why are we talking about the Blue Gremlin? Why does everybody even think about the Blue Gremlin? And, and the answer, it becomes very clear that um, when you're thinking about the Blue Gremlin, you're not thinking about all the other cars. And that's intentional. So as we have seen with the vehicles, the same might be true with the evidence. We've always been told that the bodies were scrubbed clean, that there was no physical evidence, but your investigation would prove otherwise. One of the most misleading parts of the narrative of the Oakland County child killer case is that there was no evidence that from the very beginning in the 70s, 76, 77, 78, 79, into the early 80s, news articles all the time all the time highlighted the fact that there was no substantive evidence found anywhere near the bodies, that the bodies were meticulously scrubbed, that the clothing was meticulously washed, that they were looking for a lone serial killer of almost maniacal genius you know, prowess, somebody who would never get found because he, they speculated, were, were was so smart and aware of police work and, and meticulous and you know, like a Hannibal Lecter sort. Um, this was somebody who was just too smart to be really tackled immediate way, although Hannibal Lecter is locked up. But the reality of this case was not only that there was plenty of evidence, but that all of that evidence was was quashed, was was shoved aside. And you have to look back at the files and you say, now, wait a minute. Not only is it not a scrubbed clean body, but it's actually a messy body. And you have to wonder why that was why that was said. And the main the main thing that I found when looking through the documents, the main thing of importance to me when looking through the documents is that all of it points to the fact that very on 
There was an extreme amount of evidence and there were extremely substantive leads and that there were people who under today's standards of investigative and prosecutorial procedure would have been indicted for these crimes and ultimately found guilty. So there was blood evidence. There was semen evidence. There was fingerprint evidence. There was human hair evidence. There was animal hair evidence. There were carpet fibers. I say, well, carpet fibers. Well, what does that mean to you? Let's say the least of the evidence. Let's say some carpet fibers. All of the kids had the same carpet fibers. Let's say human hair. Not just Christine had human hair on her. There was human hair on multiple bodies. What are your thoughts on the bodies being placed out in public areas, out in the open, and maybe even suggesting that they were taunting the police with the placement of these bodies? Yeah. One of the things people often talked about in the beginning of the case and continued to talk about throughout the decades is that the bodies were not just dropped in plain sight, but were neatly placed. This is another instance of having to forget everything you've ever learned about this case and start from the beginning. The bodies were, yes, they were dumped in plain sight. No, they were not placed neatly. When people say, why was something dumped in plain sight? instead of what, like buried somewhere out in the woods or whatever. It doesn't make sense to a lot of people. The answer is it makes perfect sense because this is not something that was very well thought out on the part of the killer. This is somebody who just really wasn't thinking ahead, methodically prepare for the murder of and dispose of the bodies of these children. This was somebody who went off the rails, had a body suddenly, and had to dump it fast. These bodies were just dumped out of, out of the back of a car. I mean, you look at Timothy King's photo of his body at the uh, drop site. Now, the narrative that we've been given was that all of the bodies were neatly positioned, arms across their chest, this kind of shit. Timothy King looks, the actual photo of Timothy King at the drop site looks like he was just dumped out of a, a car as quick as possible. He's buckled onto himself face down in the snow. He just looks like a dude who just got tossed out of a car. When you look at this black and white Xerox I have of this photo, and you see his body like that, there's no way, no way whatsoever to think that we were dealing with anybody who meticulously planned anything. This was, this was somebody, that, in, in terms of the dumping of the body at the very least, who just needed to get this body out of their car period. I, when you say plain sight, well, there's two reasons to put it in plain sight. One is one is uh, because they're trying to make a statement, and that's the narrative everybody's run with. Oh, it was two miles from this police station or something. Well, you know, you're in tight quarters. Almost anything is two miles from a police station if you're talking about a little area, right? Or a couple of miles from the police station. They wanted to build these, this lore of like, the maniacal killer who was taunting the police and all this shit. It's totally, totally misleading. What really happened is that multiple people were complicit in the abduction, sexual molestation, photographing and such of these bodies, of these, of these kids. And at some point, these kids were murdered, likely by the same person, and in, in at least proximity to other people, people who at least knew what was happening and then had to get rid of the fucking body because he didn't know what to do. He was not a smart person. This was not a maniacal person. This was the work of a slob. Somebody who leaves blood, semen, saliva, fingerprints, hair, dog hair, carpet fibers all over the bodies is not somebody who's making a statement by then 
you know, being meticulous in the placement, you know, in proximity to a police station, you know, a couple miles away or something. These were slobs, man. These were just, there are prisons filled with criminals who weren't thinking ahead. That's why, the, that's why they're there. <laughs> I mean, this, this, is not, this is not something that we really need to overthink anymore. Once you go back and you start from scratch and you get rid of all the narratives that you've been told and you realize they were all a line of bullshit, just like this narrative of the bodies being placed. And I know you've thought this before and I know that others have thought this before because that's all you find in the news. When you Google, when you Google this case and you start your own investigative process and you start looking at all the reports and all the bold pictures and the Google images of all the, all the suspects and all that, everything's out there, but it's all out there from previous narratives. None of it is really based on the documents that were obtained by FOIA request in the last decade that have been studied by some of the family members of the victims that have been studied by me at this point and that have been studied by other police officers. You know, I met with police officer Jack Calflesh. He was one of the original task force members on this case. I had documents that he hadn't seen. So why is that? When you're talking about a task force member, a task force member, a member, a, a trusted seasoned detective, one of a couple of hundred at the time who were working this case, not having the information that he needed to solve the case, you have to suspect that that was on purpose. A task force is allegedly brought together to solve the crimes. So when he didn't even have the information that I had from the FOIA requests, and again, I talk about state police documents, FBI documents, uh, city documents, Birmingham, Ferndale, Berkeley, Southfield, Livonia, Oakland and Wayne counties, all of that information, all of that information points to totally shaking up all the narratives that you're familiar with. And one of those narratives is the placement of the bodies. And, and it sucks to have to tell you that because I'm sure you spent a lot of time thinking about that when you, when you did your investigative, online investigative work. But the reality is the photos of the bodies at the, at the, drop, at the drop sites, the narratives from the drop sites, uh, the individual uh, statements from police officers who were at those drop sites don't line up with the grand narrative of these bodies being neatly placed. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. 
Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, cheers, mates. It's good to have another guy on the show that's not afraid to drop a f bomb. Cheers to you, Captain, and cheers to our friend Jay Rubin Appleman, author of *The Kill Jar: Obsession, Descent, and a Hunt for Detroit's Most Notorious Serial Killer*, which is available everywhere books are sold on Amazon and Audible. If you want to check it out, make sure you do. It's the book that will prove to you and everyone else that everything we've always been told about the Oakland County child killer is just not true. Now, moving on, Captain, I want to get into some of our thoughts and something we opened up this episode with, with the thought that it was not one lone killer, that possibly a group of individuals were working together and had some involvement on some level in one, two, three, or maybe all four of these cases. Now, to do so, we're going to have to introduce you or reintroduce you to some suspects that we mentioned when we covered the case the first time. Um, some of these some of these suspects we just briefly mentioned on our show back in 2016. But one that we did talk about, which is a great starting point, is Christopher Bush. Now, Christopher Bush had been in police custody short before Timothy King's abduction for suspected involvement in child pornography. He committed suicide in November of 1978, and bloodstained ligatures were found in his apartment, as was a hand-drawn image of a boy closely resembling Mark Stebbins, screaming in agony, which was found pinned to the wall in which Bush committed suicide. Mm-hmm. There has been no confirmed activity. How was the this suicide? Remind uh, me what the suicide was. He he had shot himself. And we'll okay. get into that. But the thing that investigators and a lot of people keep going back to when they talk about Christopher Bush is that there has been no confirmed activity of the Oakland County child killer since his death. So many in law enforcement have suggested that the re- real killer is dead and that the Oakland County case is pretty much closed. The old, we know who did it, but he's dead. Now we're going to go through why that statement and that mindset could be wrong. Now, here's here's a thing here, Captain. In our previous episode, I think that I had said that Bush had hung himself. As you just asked me there, and we pointed out, he, he shot himself. But that's mm-hmm. actually a trickier situation because it is believed that no gunpowder residue was found on his hands. So people, people rightfully so question that if this was, in fact, a suicide, or is there some kind of chance that Christopher Bush was killed, that he was the fall guy for a group of pedophiles that he belonged to. Right. So kill Christopher Bush, place the gun in his hands or on his body, leave bloody ligatures in the room with him, a drawing of Mark Stebbins screaming in pain tacked to the wall, Mm -hmm. and there you go. Police believe they have their killer. Right, but then no murders take place after that. Right. Okay, so who could this group of individuals be that we keep talking about? 
that could be involved in one way or another in, in these cases. Okay, so we started with Christopher Bush. Let's talk about a guy named James Vincent Gunnels. As a teenager, Gunnels was repeatedly sexually assaulted by Christopher Bush at the Bush family's lake cabin. Mm-hmm. Bush was convicted of this crime. Gunnels' hair was a partial DNA match with a hair that was found on the blouse of Christine Mihalik, victim number three. Mm-hmm. Gunnels was questioned regarding his possible involvement in the Oakland County child killing cases. And law enforcement claimed that Gunnels cheated on one of these tests and failed another. Failed what test? The polygraph? The polygraph test. I'm sorry. So he cheated. He's a cheater. Hmm. Uh, Gunnels is currently living at the Central Michigan Correctional Facility. Mm -hmm. He has a very lengthy criminal record. But he could be released as early as June of next year. So we have suspect Bush and we have suspect Gundles, which was being molested by Bush. And there's some thought that maybe Gundles at some point became a accomplice of Bush's, that they mm-hmm. were molesting individuals together at some point. Right. Regardless, we have Bush, who was considered a suspect in the cases, who was a known acquaintance of Gundles. And we find a hair on one of the victims of Gunnels, meaning Gunnels either came in contact with this victim or she had been at the same place that he had been at some point. Right. So let's bring another scumbag into the fold, shall we? And one of the earliest telephone tips submitted to police, Christopher Bush's name is mentioned. This is a voice recording that has mysteriously been lost or erased throughout the years. Of course it has. But in regards to that tip, in 2008, a victim of child molestation, and we will not use his name here, this victim testified in 2008 that when he was a child, he was forced into sexual activity with another boy that he believes was Timothy King, victim number four. He also testified that he was later shown a Polaroid picture of that same boy. Again, who he believes to be Timothy King. The picture showed the boy tied up in the trunk of what the victim believed to be Christopher Bush's vehicle. He also testified that he was present when Christopher Bush dropped off Timothy King at the home of a one Ted Lamborghini. Ted Lamborghini lives at the Ken Ross Correctional Facility Mm -hmm. where he is scheduled to never be released He is serving life without the possibility of parole. This is because in July of 1976, this is around the time of the murders, Ted was very busy committing 14 counts of criminal sexual conduct eight times with a minor between the ages of 13 and 15, six times with a child under the age of 13 years old. Lamborghini is not only a sick, disgusting pedophile pervert, but he is as slippery as they come because although he committed these terrible acts in 1976, he was not caught until he was found in Parma Heights, Ohio in December of 2006. Turns out Ted Lamborghini and his good friend, this is Richard Lawson, were operating in a pedophile ring in Detroit in the 1970s and 80s. Once he's arrested, here's the aha moment regarding the old statement of we know who did it, but he's dead. Gets right. turned on its side here. So once finally apprehended, law enforcement publicly refers to Lamborghini as, quote, he was our most promising suspect in the Oakland County child killer case. 
Lawson and Lamborghini operated in Detroit's Cass Corridor pedophile ring. Mm-hmm. Lawson, when caught, pointed the blame for the murders at Lamborghini. Lawson is serving a life sentence for murdering his boss in Livonia in 1989. He was arrested in 2005. Lamborghini rejected a plea deal that would have reduced his sentence greatly, but it required him to take a polygraph and answer questions about the Oakland County child killings in exchange. They would dismiss 13 of the sex charges against him. Lamborghini said, no gunnels that lies and cheats on one of the polygraphs. And now we have this individual that will not take one, even though he's going to get reduced sentence. Correct. So, now this is uh this is pretty disgusting and pretty It's already been fucking hard to, disgusting to hear. But um we have to clear up how these two know each other and how some of the other individuals know each other. So the the Cass Corridor pedophile ring was basically this. Okay? A group of men there the Cass Corridor was a very poor basically the projects, okay? And what they would do is they would pick up these boys who wanted food. They wanted money. They wanted things and they would give them things. They would give them money. They would give them food. They would give them all three, but in trade, they were using them for sex and they would typically sodomize these boys, photograph them, throw them in a bathtub, hose them off and then return them. However, they rarely harmed them in a physical way of let's say beating them or strangling them, anything like that, because they dropped off these boys with the hopes that at some point they're going to want some more money and they'll come back. Right. And they're not going to tell anybody because they're so poor. Right. And so these men took advantage and they repeatedly raped these boys. And it wasn't just one, two, three, four, five boys. It was a lot of boys that lived in this area. Okay. So, the thing here is, how does Lamborghini get on police radar? Well, he got there because Lawson, remember his friend Richard Lawson, who was involved in the same pedophile ring, mm-hmm. said, hey, I was scared of Lamborghini, and I think he was involved in the murders. Well, why? He tells law enforcement about a very specific story. He says that there was another pedophile that they hung out with. His name is Bob Moore. He was the owner of a bike shop that was near this cast corridor. So he's another in this pedophile ring. He kept a photo album of the boys that some of them were involved with. At one point, one night while they were hanging out in the bike shop, Lamborghini opens up the photograph book and he shows Lawson a photo of a white kid from the other side of eight mile road. And he said to Lawson looks like the King boy, doesn't it? And gave him a wink. You'll be glad to know that this other individual that we just introduced, Bob Moore, died in 1996 of cardiac arrest in his home. His pit bulls devoured his carcass before the body was discovered. Right. Good. Archibald Edward Sloan. He owned a That's 19, a shitty name. He owned a 1966 Pontiac Bonneville. Mitochondrial DNA taken from hairs found in Sloan's Bonneville matches. DNA found at at least one of the body dump scenes. I actually believe that this DNA matches DNA collected from as many as three of the crime scenes. Mm -hmm. We got to be clear here though, because the tricky thing is the DNA is not a match to Archibald Sloan, but just simply hairs found in his car. 
back then, Sloan, he was known to have lent out his car to plenty of people. He also owned several other vehicles at this time. He owned a 1969 black Chevy pickup and a 1971 blue pickup. Mm -hmm. Archibald Sloan has been convicted of two counts of first degree sexual assault against a male against male minors. And he is currently serving a life sentence. Okay. I know that's a lot to take in, but what we're pointing out here is that we have multiple individuals that have known ties to one another Mm -hmm. and they have some tie to one or two of the crimes. And coincidentally, they've all at some point been charged with sexual acts against minors, two of them serving life sentences because they've committed so many of these crimes. Now we have to talk about a guy named Gregory Green. Now this is taken directly from Barry King's website and blog. He is the father of victim number four, Timothy King. The task force formally advised the King family that Gregory Green was a potential suspect and that he participated in the Oakland County child killings. This was discussed when the Michigan State Police reports were given to the King family. Gregory Green was a known pedophile and a companion of Christopher Bush. The Michigan State Police reports have extensive history of his pedophile convictions in California, including one case in which Green thought the boy was dead and dropped him off at a hospital. Okay. So to be, I don't want to go through this in any more detail than I have to, but the, the general, the general thing in this particular case is this Gregory green, not only enjoyed molesting boys, but he enjoyed choking them at the same time on one of these occasions. And I say one of these, because he did this to multiple victims. He thought he had killed the boy. So he drove to the hospital. And he left the boy in front of the entrance, just lying there. Right. The boy ultimately was revived. Mm-hmm. And so he lived. Luckily, he lived. Uh, he did have to serve jail time for this in California. Unfortunately, it wasn't a life sentence. And he once returned from jail, once he's out of jail, he returned to his home of Flint, Michigan. Green and Bush, they were confidants and spent time together and they molested individuals together, including Christopher Bush's younger cousin. Well, the list of sick fucks just keeps continuing. Okay. So Mm. we mentioned that Christopher Bush was spoken to by the police in regards to the Oakland County cases. Okay. Right. So was Gregory green. What they were able to get from these two individuals is one same story. It's a very troubling story that the two of them at some point had agreed that one of them should get a day job and the other one should get a night job. So that if they took it, a young victim captive, that one of them would be present during the day to watch over the victim and the other present at night to watch over the victim. However, when asked the question, Christopher Bush would not answer the question as to what they intended to do with the victim when they were finished with the child. Barry King also in his blog states that on more than one occasion, Gregory Green stated that Christopher Bush had killed Mark Stebbins victim number one. 
Now, Green was sentenced to life in prison for violating a child, and later he died in prison in 1996. So all these guys are connected in some way and possibly had something to do with these murders. Half of them are dead. Yeah, we're not definitively saying, want to be clear on that, we're not definitively saying that this is what happened up in Oakland County. Mm -hmm. We're just simply pointing out that there are things and reasons to believe that one or a bunch of these individuals were involved and possibly working together to dupe the police to make it harder on their investigation. Yeah, and I think people knew that there was, you know, obviously child pedophilia going on, but I think the idea that there was rings or some kind of network I think was kind of probably not discussed a lot in the seventies. It's not even discussed enough today. Well, I think for us to get the break that is needed in this case, I think that James Vincent Gunnels is the go-to. I think he's somebody that needs to really be talked to at length. He's technically the only one with something to lose, meaning that the others are dead or currently serving life sentences. And one of the guys, Richard, Richard Lawson, has already rolled on another person. He's already said, look, I think Ted Lamborghini did this, and here's why. Right, but then we have the, I think, what was the last group of guys that one of them thinks that they killed the first victim. Correct. But what I'm pointing out here is Gunnels is the only one with something left to lose. Every All the other individuals named in this story that we named as suspects and in this group are either dead or serving life sentences. The, f- the first sick thing about all this is that uh, most of these individuals that we speak of as big of pieces of shit as they are, they are probably at one time victims themselves. And then you have Gunnels, which we know was a victim possibly became an accomplice. And I don't think that justifies anything. I actually have some suspicion that maybe he is the reason why Bush is dead. And maybe that's why you're not going to get a lot out of him. Because maybe it is not this network of these sick fucks. um, Network of the sick fucks that did all this stuff. And they destroyed these children and they left them on the side of the road as if they're trash. And I think for whatever reason, this this guy that became a victim that probably got wrapped up in this and probably had something to do with these murders of these children then decided that enough was enough and he had to kill the guy that was, you know, torturing him and, and making him what he became. Yeah, and it's just sick to know and have an understanding that these individuals were working together. And here's the thing, regardless if they were working together in the Oakland County child killer cases, we know that some of them were working together in the Cass Corridor case. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned the victims of the the Oakland County case being thrown out of the car, disposed of like trash. Mm -hmm. Same with those poor kids that were allowed to go home at the end of the day, they too were treated like trash by these men, by, by mm-hmm. individuals named in this episode and victims. Of course they didn't get to choose to be victims if they were at one time a victim, but at some point in their life, 
they chose to victimize others. And that was a choice that they made, willingly made. And this case was very hard to research and very hard to put together considering these individuals and the acts that they've committed against people and the community. One, people need to talk about this more often and know that it's part of reality and you have to accept that it there it is happening it's going on it's a problem and you need to be aware of this and maybe you can be part of the good guys to stop it well and if you want to learn more pick up the kill jar by j reuben appleman you can also visit barry king's blog and learn more about the case there and anyone with information on any of the suspects that we have talked about or anyone with information about the murders, please, please call 800-442-7766. Again, thanks for listening and for everything True Crime Garage. Check out truecrimegarage.com or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or untapped. And until next time, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.